Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Left Page. Frank, your historian, always ready, actual historian for a little while now, though the quarantine and the plague has stopped me from, from getting my diploma. <laughs> Soon, I hope, or not, it'll work out, I hope. So, we're back, as I mentioned on Twitter, I'm back, hopefully with some strength. To sort of just, not really justify it, but just, like, explain how it went. Like, when, when the plague and quarantine stuff got more intense, I guess I was very ambitious with what I wanted to keep the podcast going and all that. And I guess that sort of overwhelmed me, like, everything else. All the other, I don't know, I, I guess the other tolls that it has all taken. And, yeah, it, it I'm sorry, really, for such a unplanned and unwanted hiatus really that just like editing became a drudge to me and I couldn't I couldn't stand and just edit so I worked on some other side projects some of which I'll probably talk to Bruno and about to you all tomorrow since hopefully we'll record tomorrow afternoon and though it'll probably not be out tomorrow this week for sure interesting stuff but as much as I wanted to focus on the podcast, some of the practical, technical stuff was... It was a bit more difficult, unfortunately. And it's not like... Bruno and I deeply care about the podcast. Because like a quarantine is a time where we also reflect on the things that are worth doing. And the podcast is absolutely worth doing. And we think like that. The question is that... The reading, the editing, all of it, it takes a certain focus and a certain effort that is very specific. And when you're not really focused and not that well, that can be quite difficult to do. So, yeah, I guess all in all, it's it's been sort of tough. But we're back. I'm back. And gonna try and catch up with some of the reading corners. Don't know how we're gonna work the poetry club. Maybe try some work something else out something that we can do something will be done to sort of plan and figure out that part and the schedule really all will go well i hope so yeah today i i'm actually going to talk to you all about a, a book i read a, a couple of weeks ago i finished and i talked to a couple of friends about it and it's an actual brazilian work by uh, an incredibly talented writer who is Ligia Fagundes Telles, so a female author, which brings some interesting questions to what I'm going to talk about, and now that I've remembered, it's worth saying it here and now, now that the, like, sort of forewarnings and preparations, like, introductions are done, that content warnings for violence, rape, abortion, uh, drug use, and drug abuse, all that to be properly said i most of them there's not that much detail i'm not going to go into graphic detail anything also because i'm not going to go too long i I hope and i don't think but just to mention because they will come up in one way or another or they might come up and i don't want to like oh that came up and i didn't earlier and then i need to slot in a constant warning so i'd rather just do it as one go and i think it probably work best it'll help me keep myself organized too 
So the book I'm actually going to be talking about has a lot of interesting historical elements and elements of its time. It's called The Girl in the Photograph, though more accurately translated as The Girls, simply. That's how it is in Portuguese, but apparently the way I found it in English is The Girl in the Photograph. I'm not exactly sure why. I didn't. I give it. I give it some thought, but I'm not exactly sure. It is a novel from 1974, published here in Brazil during the military dictatorship. So, and it's like one of the first books that actually openly talks about torture and guerrilla fighting and subversive groups, or so-called subversive groups, as you probably imagine. So. It's still shocking that it came out during the dictatorship with that content and in the actual, like, what are sort of known as the lead years, although that can be fallacious to... Well, let me explain. Just some historical context. Here's the thing. The military dictatorship in Brazil, it, it began with the coup in 1964, and it lasted up until 1985 when... Uh, direct elections to president returned and sort of the process of re-democratizing or re-democratization had gone an actual decent and concrete way. The thing about the lead years, which is the term I mentioned, is that it refers to the times after the Institutional Act number no. 5, I-5, AI-5, or IA-5 in English, which is basically like a decree that overrides the constitution and this one is basically one that allowed prison without habeas corpus i think one of the things were like if you if you're imprisoned you are allowed to stay without contact with the outside world for like a fortnight it basically sanctioned a great deal more censorship and police control so these are this ia5 is basically what made the dictatorship even worse. The thing about the term is that it sort of puts years before that as being sort of light, which they weren't. It was a military dictatorship and it was when it was settling in, so it's really intense too. Even if not at the same degree, it, it was not good and it's, yeah, it, it's just something to be careful of, even if some of these times are have a distinct mark with the IA-5. So just to note that this book came out then. It is a book that tells the stories in during two days, it's an incredibly short time span, of three different girls, really. I think they're 17, 18 years old. And they're all, they're all living in a, a convent for one reason or another, either because their family is from a different state or because they're orphans, or because, well, they're free. So one is that first case, the second one, she's an orphan, and the third one, she doesn't live with her parents. It's a whole, because they live traveling, it's a whole thing. But it is a book that is works really well in showing... The three characters are quite emblematic. They're, they are... And I, I will go through each of them carefully. First, we have Leah or Leon, as it comes up. I'm not exactly sure how it comes up in the translation, because I read it in Portuguese, obviously. Uh, but she she's basically the militant. Uh, they're all f- somewhat stereotypes that are 
muddied a bit, but they are stereotypes through which certain ideas and expressions are sort of worked through, expressed, and reflected. So Leah is like the militant, and she works in a... I'm not exactly sure. It's not entirely clear if it's just like a sort of a leftist group or an actual guerrilla. It's probably somewhere between those two things. The, the, the these the, there were these groups had guerrilla actions, but th these things are never really entirely clear for obvious reasons. But she is trying to figure out what she's going to do with the movement and trying to build a mass movement during the dictatorship. So, not impossible, unfortunately. And she's also thinking about what she's going to do because her boyfriend is in prison by the regime and what's going to happen with that. And so she is the one that's concerned about the whole dictatorship thing, about losing comrades, about having them simply disappear one day there, the next gone. So she deals with that constantly. O on the other hand, she's also like that annoying uh, <laughs> to <laughs> to sort of borrow a contemporary term. She's like an online leftist in the stereotypical bad way. There's like she's constantly complaining about these things and yelling them mostly, but not seeming to take that much action about it outside of her group. So that's just one of the impressions that at least from now reading it that's one of the things I got so she's that although she gets some character development and it's not she's not that even if she's portrayed a lot like that then we have I'm thinking about the order of doing this I, then we have Lorena Lorena actually comes from like um, a sort of a golden cradle something of the sort but her father died some time ago and he was the one who had a lot more money and her mother was quite distraught and current husband was only in for the money. So she has a sort of troubled relationship regarding that, but she's mostly like, she's dreamy, she's poetic, she's like, she <laughs> she's not that much in touch with reality. A lot because of those uh, financial conditions which allow her to live comfortably. Like, she lives in a convent, yes, but her room and bathroom are entirely customized and thanks to that money. So she can allow herself to not think about the political situation that much and all that. And then we have the more difficult and interesting and troublesome character of them all, which is... Anna Clara, or uh, it's interesting because her name Anna, like clear, Clara. The, some of the other girls refer to her at times as Anna, um, Anna Murray or Anna Dim, or that these sort of ideas of, of like not a clear character, and because she she has um, she has a drug addiction, and I think. I think it's heroin. I'm quite sure. And she is in a very sort of... At least the two days that we follow her. A very intense moment where she is with her boyfriend. Uh, who is uh, a drug dealer. And it's a very sort of like flux of consciousness. 
because of a great deal because of like alcoholism and because she is, is also drinking a lot and doing drugs and is this sort of feverish state where she's narrating things and it's very it's very difficult it's very troublesome because she tells the story of how like she was in intense and raw poverty uh, when growing up like her mother had and her lived in like an abandoned or semi-abandoned construction site and some of the men that would be with her mother would mistreat her, hurt her and it's a very difficult difficult, very difficult uh, sort of testimony to read of someone who endured all that trauma and who as we learn from her she she was trying to do psychoanalysis to try and unwind some of all that trauma but it it, it ultimately didn't help it, it it seemed to make things worse like her questioning and her uh, uh, sort of raw hatred that she had for men and everyone except her uh, boyfriend was really intense her descriptions are brutal and it, it is uh, they are of someone in pain someone is trying to deal with having lived a difficult situation in her early life and is trying to sort of find a way into wealth and she apparently is going to have a marriage with a sort of a rich man who doesn't really care about anyone else as long as she sort of keep up appearances with him so she will live a sort of uh, inverted commas double life but th that was the plan the the thing about the whole dynamic of the novel and, and I'm going into spoilery territory because uh, it's difficult to explain the novel without putting the characters in motion because what happens is it's a difficult novel it's not simple it's very intense be with Anna Clara's descriptions be it with Leah's like commitment and concern of living in this in the, the fucking military dictatorship like it's not it's not a simple thing <laughs> not at all and concern with liberation and trying to think of a way through is incredibly painful for her as well and following all that situation and being aware of like these violences and these traumas are very difficult for example as I, I, I did a content warning earlier that Anna Clara had at times gotten pregnant of Max the, the boyfriend's name and it, it it's mentioned how she got an abortion and how that was also very difficult for because she was accompanied by the other girls uh, and how it was when she is in this feverish drug state, how she's thinking about that and thinking about, oh, maybe I'm pregnant, maybe I need to get another abortion, and because of the guy I want to marry, he, as long as I'm virgin or appear to be virgin, that's fine. I just need to not, I just need to not, it's, it's difficult, it's very intense. And... It, it really the, the novel display on the relationship and the friendship between these three friends who throughout the novel are rarely seen together like we have moments mostly 
two of them uh, paired up, but rarely like the three of them, like, with the exception of the very end. And what we learn to see during the novel is that Leah's boyfriend is going to be released in a prisoner exchange because of a particular action the guerrillas did. They captured, I don't think this was the case, but they captured historically, and this is what it, it was actually based on, they captured like an American ambassador. Pretty cool. I didn't uh, say that, but you're hearing me. And they, in order to return him, they would do a prisoner exchange. And her Leah's boyfriend would go into exile. And she was going to go along with him. Or meet him there. And she was happy that she was going to go and be with him and all that. So it was going to be great. And that's sort of the direction that things are going with her. With Lorena, she was, during the entirety of the novel... Again, two days. She was obsessed about receiving and expecting a phone call from a married man who she had been in like a date or two together, but who she was, was deeply in love, the sort of romantic ideal of being in love and being madly in passion, wanting to be with her. And as we are led to believe, because, uh, you know, uh, Lorena is a virgin and so she longs to be with him and in the throes of passion and so to speak again the the catholic environment and upbringing that she she's the most religious character of the novel it, with flexibility she's not entirely strict but that plays a part is that is one the major question for her if we think about the the, the major points for each and every character or the the girls really and what what happens with Anna Clara is that she sort of, after a, a, a drug-induced sort of... Because as she tells us, uh, the narration shares point of views from all the three girls. Although the impression I got was that we spend more time with Lorena. Uh, she's the character that we are more with or who is more coherent, maybe. But she's the one we spend most time with. And what we see when we are with Anna Clara is that she is supposed to meet the the man who she's sort of going to marry, this rich man who's going to be able to give her what she wants, if as long as she's able to maintain a sort of pretend marriage or whatever. And uh, she's mentioning how she should be there, how she's late, and she on the way there to the supposed restaurant... She runs into someone else who, like, she has a vision of, like, that he's Jesus, and, but the guy is sort of, like, scummy man, fair enough, and uh, he basically takes her to his apartment and rapes her because, you know, having sex with someone who is not holy conscious is not consent, just saying. And but eventually, and she, she returns to the convent where Lorena and Lorena already is, and I think Leah is on, almost there, or she's getting there. And uh, she's covered in bruises. She's hurt, and Lorena lies her down, tries to, she's gonna give her a bath, gonna help her out. But she, after a couple of moments there, she they find out she's dead, and well. <sighs> 
Lorena then has a moment of sort of clarity where she realizes that like okay we can't we can't let her body be found here like out of dr- out of an overdose and they sort of disguise it to look like she was returning from a party and leave uh, Leah and Lorena leave Anna Clara's body in a park bench in the early hours of the morning when it's so dark and for all that the novel tells us it is quite tragic because through all through these experiences especially Anna Clara I think she is by far the most interesting character or at least the character whom we should pay attention to because she she is the, the oppressed one she was marginalized from her very birth and the violences upon her and her mother had left it stresses upon her, and she's not able to escape them. The novel's very tragic, because it offers us no real hope. Like, sure, Leah is going to be happy with her boyfriend in Argelia, which is where they were going, but is that really enough? It gave me quite a bit of doubt that through questioning her politics, yes, she's concerned about that, but I do get the impression that she's her solution is being with her boyfriend, the man whom she loves, and that is fine in terms of romance. It's just I don't know, I don't know. Uh, limited perspective, I guess, for my part. Lorena, on the other hand, is the is interesting too because with her development, we see a character who is like sort of this. Oh, she's in fantasy land. She's blah, in dream world, thinking about love, poems, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but she's actually quite sensible and with a great deal of reason and care at the end in trying to disguise the body. So, all in all, I've mostly been describing and sharing a bit about the novel because it, it is a work that shares different perspectives or different ideas of a particular time of these girls' lives, but also it shows a particular time in the history of Brazil. The novel is incredibly historically grounded. Uh, the university they attend, uh, because I believe, like, I think Lorena was on psychology, was a psychology major or something of the sort, that's very briefly mentioned, and the university was on strike, and the, again, the the left wing groups, and we have the prisoner exchange, which dates. It's a very specific event and dates that event and those times in the novel. So it, it is a novel that shares some of those traumas for women in the military dictatorship from three very different perspectives. Like I didn't mention much of Leah's upbringing, but she's not particularly rich or particularly poor, a sort of semi-middle class, low-middle class, something of the sort, and because her father was a German immigrant and her mother was from the state of Bahia, and it was a sort of interesting match, at least Lorena describes it as that, of like oh, a strict German who had sort of at one time abandoned and left behind his time being a part of the of the Nazis, because it says that, like, he was a Nazi, but when he found out that what it was about, he sort of, like, no, and ran away. 
and a sort of a inherently Brazilian and popular side from the northeastern region of Brazil, which is the one that is has the uh, sort of like greater poverty and it is in a more precarious situation because of the droughts and the greater of the climate and again the exploitation, all that. Um, so it paints, it presents very different pictures from very different angles because we see like someone who was marginalized her entire life and we see someone who wanted to struggle and work well for this better world but was in this horrific time and trying to find ways to survive and work things out for herself and for others too and another one who was in this more comfortable upbringing and despite her dreaminess is is still is still in the real world and is still figuring things out so it is like the journey of these girls lives but also i guess a bit of brazil's life so to speak as this dreadful nation <laughs> Uh, especially in that time. So, I guess uh, sharing a lot about what the novel was and is, is one way to remember that time. So, like, because of this historical grounding, like, what was this time in Brazil? What was this time of violence, of torture, of incredible brutality? And at the end, at the other hand, like, when we look into it, Anacara's condition and situation had nothing to do with the dictatorship. But, of course, it remained there and it was present by that, but that the dictatorship came and went. Her situation would not have mattered uh, before or after and situations like her remained. So, there's also a sort of a clear social aspect to, like, yeah, the dictatorship is horrific and monstrous and it does dreadful things, but there are other things at play here beyond the dictatorship. And I think that, regardless of the novel's objective or point, that comes up too. So, yeah, like... Yeah, it's a really, really good novel. I definitely recommend it, uh, if you can find it in English. I hope the translation's good. I, I'm sorry I didn't check it out, didn't do my homework this time. But, yeah, I think I'm going to leave it at that, because it, it is an incredible novel, if very powerful and intense because of all these things. But it also handles... It, again, it is a female writer with female characters and their perspectives, their life experiences, their different situations and upbringings and how they relate to the world around them, or not. So, yeah, absolutely worth it. And, ground, and again, reflected and connected with this time. So, a, a, a very, very good novel about the dictatorship, but about a lot more than just that. About Brazil, about people, about women, about exploitation, about sexism. A great deal, and a very good novel, very powerful one. Yeah, really interesting. And not too long either. So I definitely recommend it, for sure. So yeah, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the slightly longer quarantine log. I intended to be a bit shorter, but... I, I, I had a lot to say, I guess. I didn't want to 
cut midway and there were things, important things I wanted to say, so felt worth continuing. So, well, we're on Twitter, at uh, LeftPagePod. I'm also on Twitter myself, at, at KGBFrank. Bruno's on there too, at, uh, at San Giorgio Bruno, S-A-N-G-I-O-R-G-I-O Bruno. Uh, even if he's not much there, he's there, if you, if you like. <laughs> uh, please also, if you can, it would mean a lot to us. It is helpful. Uh, even, or rather especially now that our currency is plummeting further, even small contribution or donation through Patreon is worth a lot more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you can support us on Patreon, we're at uh, on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash left page. Uh, even just one dollar a month would mean the world and would be really, really helpful. So if you can, we'd appreciate it. And I think that's about it. Expect another ep- a real full hour-length episode this week. Because uh, that should be coming soon. And more reading corners. One or two more this week as well. And possibly another quarantine log by myself. We'll see. We'll see. It, it depends on how it goes with Bruno tomorrow and how I want to do a couple of things, but I'm going to think about it, so we'll see, we'll see. So thank you so much for listening, until the next one.